The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. This is Sunday Edition with Anthony Corona. Every week here on ACB Media One, that's American Council of the Blind, Media One, and soon after on all your major podcast catchers. Each week, we'll dive into the news, human interest, and discussions about the issues surrounding all of us in and out of the American Council of the Blind community. Byron, are we are we okay? Yeah, we're here. All is good. Oh, just realized you guys couldn't hear anything because I was muted. Yep, we just got on the air. We are we are live all, now. All right. Welcome, welcome, welcome. <clears throat> welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday edition. I'm your host, Anthony Corona. You just heard my pilot extraordinaire executive producer byron sheila young is hosting for us today it's <clears throat> it has been an interesting morning overnight i would say about eleven thirty last night after karaoke which by the way was fabulous last night um we got a call from a friend of ours who begged us to use our backyard to foster a mother and mother chicken and four little chicklets so it's been an interesting morning in the Corona Lopez Cafati household. Um, <laughs> we've got a great show today. We're going to be speaking with Kim Charlson in a few minutes. And in the second hour, Annie Chiapetta. So stay with us. If you've got some questions for these fabulous ladies, please join us using the Zoom link. You can find it's the same Sunday edition link for every Sunday show. Um, you can find it on the lists and on the Facebook community page. If you've got questions, please don't hesitate to join us live and raise that hand. Um, I wanted to to shout out a couple of things. Leslie Spoon, of course, is working hard and diligently putting together the holiday auction. So if you have items to donate, um, please reach out to Leslie Spoon. I think October 17th is the deadline to get all the donations and the, you know, the wording that goes into the, um, you know, the descriptions and all that together. Also, um, I wanted to speak on behalf of Blind Pride International. We have two great things coming up this week. Um, every other Tuesday, of course, is our Pride Connection podcast. We have a fabulous one this week. Byron, we're talking all about experiencing and creating art from the blind and low vision perspective. And uh, it was a pretty great conversation. Yeah, it really was cool. We had all kinds of people from all kinds of different walks of life that uh, are into art of lots of different uh, types like painting and sculpturing and, and even audio collages and stuff like that yeah i wonder who that might be <laughs> and um we're gonna be doing a follow-up conversation because I, you know i think we all learned at the same time about a really interesting project uh that one of our members kurt is involved in in um california making 3d printed representations of artwork for our community for museums and, and galleries and things so check that out and then on thursday we have a fat liberation training um, with, in, you know, in um, 
Association in partnership with Fat Rose. Um, you'll see that information on the call list as well as we'll put out a separate with links that you can, you know, refresh yourself or, or teach yourself or, you know, immerse yourself in what we'll be speaking about as far as fat liberation is concerned. Um, Byron, you have a, an announcement from Lori Scharf. Can you read that out for us? I do. The Braille Revival League of New York, an affiliate of the Braille Revival League, will be holding a Pampered Chef fundraiser on Friday, September 9th, 2022 at 7 p.m. Eastern. Again, that is September 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. The Zoom event will be September Friday 9th at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can find the Zoom information and other party details can be found at the following link. Please share this email uh, or or share the word of mouth about this event uh, with everyone. Uh, The more the merrier. The website is www.pamperedchef.com forward slash party forward slash b-r-l-n-y fundraiser again that's pamperedchef.com slash party slash b-r-l-n-y fundraiser um and the wonderful pampered chef consultant cindy is able and willing to take orders directly over the phone for those of you who need it, she's also willing to help you discuss products, go over wish lists, give recommendations, etc. So if you need assistance in any way, please do not hesitate to reach out to her. All right. Um, I also have a phone number. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to give that over the air. So uh, I'll leave that one up to you, Anthony. You know what? We'll just throw that in our show notes um, right. for anybody who wants. It'll be there on the podcast show feed. Um, I have an announcement from Meryl Schechter and, you know, Sunday edition fan that she is. She actually happens to be here. So I'll let her tell you all about it herself. Meryl, talk to us about Spanish 101. Thank you very much. Um, I have my Spanish 101 call at 7.30 p.m. on Monday evenings. And it, it I engage people. I like to make sure that they understand everything that they're being taught by me. So if they don't understand, I ask them to let me know. And what I do is I teach them um, beginner, intermediate, and advanced levels. And my hope is that everybody will be able to achieve the level that they want to. And I do it in 20-minute segments. What I also do is I raise ask people to raise their hand, for example, um, to engage in conversation if they want to. Now, if they do not want to engage in conversation, they don't have to, and people remain muted when they actually um, are listening when I do teaching moments. But I love doing it for the community, and I've received a lot of acclamation from leaders and hosts alike about my enthusiasm and interest for doing the call and my love for doing the call and i really enjoy it so thank you and i hope everybody as many people can get on and spread the word 7:30 p.m eastern on monday evenings thank you thank you thank you and this is especially poignant because september 15th through october 15th is hispanic heritage month yes so look for some special programming on that and Meryl you are one of the first members at the mic 
for uh, the BOP member at the mic on the ACB Voices blog. Keep a lookout for that. That should be coming towards the end of the month. And um, we have folks like Lucy Edmonds and Tom and and a whole bunch of people that, you know, we'll have a 15 to 20 minute spotlight with them on the blog. Thank you. I'm thrilled to do that. Absolutely. So Meryl, stick around. Hopefully you'll have some questions for our guests. And finally, before we get to our first guest, next Sunday is September 11th. And I debated back and forth. It's going to be the 21st 21st anniversary of the September 11th attacks. I debated back and forth whether or not I was going to do a show. Um, And I decided to go ahead and do the show. We're going to talk 9-11 memories and how the world is if the world has learned anything, and if so, how and what the world has learned since then. And then we'll open it up to other just, you know, hot topics for our community. Uh, so it's going to be a big round table. And Sheila, my host for the, for the day, um, something all else awesome will be happening next Sunday night. You want to tell the folks about it? Sure. Um, There is a radio show that's on every Sunday evening from 7 to 9. It is called Blind and Beyond Radio Show. And next Sunday night, Anthony is going to be on with me. So I'm very excited about that and looking forward to it. What do they have going on today? Do you know? Today's a a best of. They're not doing a show tonight. All right. Um, Is there a website for the show? Yeah, it's org. But to listen to it, you ask your Lady A to play WOKB 1680, and it will play. All right, and I'll throw that in next week's show notes and with the promo for next week. Sheila, if you could just send me that link, that would be wonderful. All right. (laughs) <laughs> our first guest probably needs absolutely no introduction to to our listeners she's our immediate past president she is the current president of the world blind union i think it's north atlantic and caribbean if i got that wrong she will correct me in just a moment or two she um is the guru up at perkins library and so much more i i could spend about 20 minutes introducing her but why bother when she's here welcome back to sunday edition Kim Charlson. Thank you, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, So I was perusing my email uh, one day last week and and, a notice came up and I said, wow, this is awesome. Let's get Kim back on here. We'll talk a little bit about World Blind Union a little bit later on, but um, you were just honored with, with what I think is a really, really cool honor. So do you want to tell our listeners where you were a couple of weeks ago and, and how you were honored. Well, absolutely. And, and thank you. Thank you, Anthony, for having me on and recognizing um, my, my recognition. That's really terrific. <laughs> so I was, I was very honored to be um, recognized with the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts Leadership in um, Accessibility. So I was received um, a leadership recognition for my work in accessibility, particularly in the area of audio description. And the the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts has a division under their accessibility department called Leadership Exchange in Art and Disability. And they have an annual conference that is phenomenal in the area of access 
for people with disabilities to all types of arts, museums, performing arts, um, audio description, all types of access for all types of disability. And my recognition was for my work in the area of audio description, which I have been involved with for quite a long time. And I told a story in my acceptance remarks about really the the first time that I had been exposed to audio description was in 1986. And it was, um, I was at Perkins Library and I was assisting WGBH, which is about a mile and a half away, um, with a test that they wanted to do with the blindness community of audio description for television. So we had an a great big, huge, you know, TV of the 1986 era. You can remember what those were like. They are not the flat screens that we have today. So this was like a- No, you needed two or three people to pick those bad bad boys up. (laughs) Exactly. So we had to haul this 50 pound television into the meeting room. And then we had an antenna that must've been, you know, 30 feet long to go out the window. And, um, And then when the show came on, they had um, they had the the audio description running on the show, and it was um, it was a, a Nova program, I believe. And you know there was about ten people in the room, and we watched it, and you could have heard a pin drop through the entire thing because we were all just so amazed at what audio description brought to that program. And when the show was over, there was this oh ten second pause. And then we all just started talking all at once about, that was so amazing. That was so wonderful. I can't believe I understood everything. And and it just, what I said in my remarks was, you know, I was hooked then and I continue to advocate every moment I can for audio description because it makes such a tremendous difference. And I think what a lot of us say is we never realized how much we were missing until we heard a television program with audio description or a live theater performance with audio description. We thought we were getting it, you know, we, we made it up. We, we filled in the blanks with our own imaginations, which, you know, is, is fun in some circumstances, but isn't always, you know, the, the accurate portrayal of what was going on. So um, it's been a wonderful journey to, to, to grow audio description, to, be in the White House in in um, 2010 when the CBA was signed by President Obama, and to move audio description forward. Every every inch of progress we make is progress, and it's just you know to think of where we were in 1990 and where we are today. It's um, it's it's really impressive, and the work of ACB that I'm honored to co-chair the audio description project with Carl Richardson is, is an example of a whole lot of uh, incredible work that's being done by a lot of ACB members and industry people and all kinds of folks who really are committed and dedicated to audio description. Absolutely. You know, 1990 to 2010, you know, so much happened in that space. And I mean, that must have been absolutely amazing, you know, knowing that, the the advocacy that our you know our specific ACP community did and just our community at large had done had gotten us to that point, and now you know 
<laughs> fast forward, <laughs> we have the Olympics. We have the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Um, I, I hear that the next NBC um, live production, uh, you know, theater uh, musical that they're putting out will also be audio described. I, I mean, you know, now we've got live events live. on television. Could, you know, in, in 1990 or even in 2010, could you imagine at that point that you'd, you'd be able to experience the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade without anybody telling you what the floats look like or, you know, what the crowd, how much, you know, what the crowds are surging and all of that good stuff? It's, it's pretty incredible. And what, what has really taken off, um, and I would never have even believed this in 2010, was audio description and streaming services. And ACB has been there through that whole journey with starting with Netflix as the first streaming service that got audio description for their, um, their productions in 2016. And then followed by, by Hulu and HBO max. And those were all settlement agreements that we worked in structured negotiation on. And then, you know, the work with Netflix, I think showed industry the, the writing on the wall, so to speak, because voluntarily, you know, Apple came along, Disney came along, um, uh, Prime, Prime Video with Amazon came along, yep. voluntarily doing what they do. And, and now we have so much content that's available there. There We need an advocacy initiative to get more time to, to watch everything <laughs> because there is so much available and more and more you know, every week, um, the audio description project does a weekly email that lists, you know, new, um, new programs that have been issued with audio description on all of the streaming services, on networks, on DVDs, so that you can kind of keep track of some of the, the new things that are available. So, you know, what was, um, last week's hot item was the, um, Oh, I'm going to get the throne, throne of power or something like that. The, the new series and, and also the Hobbit, um, the Lord of the kind of the Lord of the, the Lord Rings of, yeah. following that. And it, that's not one of my areas of expertise, but my husband was right there, you know, watching it the first night it was on with, you know, with his, his popcorn and everything. So that was, that was a one that he really was anticipating. So there's, you know, so much. And, you know, everybody was anticipating that program who are followers of Middle Earth and that kind of thing. So, you know, and there were, there were viewing parties that sighted people had. And I know someone who went to one of those viewing parties and their viewing part had description. So they were part of another bigger community. And that couldn't have happened without audio description for that show. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a perfect segue in what you just said. There's also a lot of what they call back catalog stuff coming out, you know, older, um, older seasons of shows that weren't described are starting to be described. There's a lot of movies that we're all waiting for. And some of them trickle out one by one. I'm still waiting for nine to five with Dolly and and, uh, Jane Fonda. But, you know, I watch for the email every week. One of these days, you you know, it's going to come out and I'm going to see nine to five and uh, it's going to be Gabe. (laughs) Grab the popcorn. It's time to find out about that one too. <laughs> <laughs> now that's, so, 
amazing. Jaws came out a couple weeks ago with just, yes. not that, you know, that's one of the American classics or anything. <laughs> I was surprised because it is older, you know, so. Yeah. And I know the, the last time we had um, Dr. Snyder on and Carl, we were talking about the website upgrade and, and so on. Can you give us any um, information on where you guys are in that process? Well, it's, it's progressing. Um, we haven't gotten to the um, user test phase, but we're close. So there's just the ADP website is immense. It's got all yeah. kinds of information. So it's, it's taken a bit longer to transition all of those pages and the functionality of a lot of those pages. And, and you may be familiar with the, the title index as one of those features where you can go to the site and um, find the master title index, type in the name of a program or movie that you want to know if it has description and you'll get um, the results will tell you where that can be found. And, and oftentimes with movies, it will tell you the, the various places that can be found because some of the movies are available on multiple streaming services so just capturing all of the different functionality and the lists and the pages we have has been, you know, a, a big task. Um, but we hope to be entering into um, the, the user test phase. And we put out a call for volunteers um, probably about, well, it was at the beginning of the summer. I remember it was right around Memorial Day um, asking for volunteers to help. And we got a tremendously good response. We're going to have a nice core of low vision and no vision volunteers, screen reader users, um, magnification users, so that we can thoroughly test the site before it goes live. And we're hoping that that will be sometime in um, November that the site, the new site will go live. So functionality is still at the same location adp.acb.org and you'll get everything there but um, there'll be a big announcement about the rollover when it happens in the new site so stay tuned in november for that well speaking of november as if you folks didn't have enough with the primary advocacy and now building the new website you guys are also working on the second gala um any information you want to share with the folks about the gala um, I can share a little bit there. Um, the date for one has been established. It's Tuesday, November 29th. So that's at 7.30 p.m. And that's the Tuesday after the Thanksgiving break or weekend. Um, so we've, we've got the date squared um, and we're right now in the process of uh, mapping out the, the program and identifying and recording it. It will be... Um, streamed like it was last year. It's a video production with audio description and it will have all the accessibility and we're working on the platforms that it will be available on, including YouTube. Um, last year it was on Peacock and we hope to have it on Paramount Plus and Peacock this year and maybe another service as well. So we, um, we have a plan to... Um, share lots of information as it gets confirmed who the celebrities are and the award recipients. But one thing I can tell you now to stay tuned for is this year we've added a new feature to the gala and we've added an audio description people's choice award 
And if you're familiar with the People's Choice Award for uh, mainstream television, it is a you know, community viewers vote for their most favorite video or, or film. And in this case, it will be um, users of audio description will vote for their favorite from a list of 10 um, pre-established um, movies or television programs that um, have audio description. So we are working on getting the announcement ready. Hope to have that out in, I hope, a couple weeks with the list of the 10 um, audio described choices and the, the website information so that you can go and vote for your audio description people's choice. And that will be part of the gala as well. So that'll be kind of fun. And that's, that's a lot of fun. And, and, you know, hopefully that will expand in, in the next couple of years to a few different categories. Cause I think that there's a lot that we as the community can, can say in highlight in, in categories. So this will be a, a great first year to, to test that. And, and you guys are ambitious. God bless for doing all this for us. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's exciting. And it, is making a difference in the industry. And that's why we do the Audio Description Gala. Um, we do raise funds to help support the work of audio description with ACB, but it is an awareness tool and it is impacting industry and they are paying attention. They want to be recognized and they want to do what they want to do to, to make sure that they are recognized for what they do. And that's how we can you know, impact where industry goes. And I, it's really making a difference, I think. We're really seeing a lot of response from the entertainment industry. And, and that's very rewarding and very satisfying for me personally and just everybody who's involved with the gala to see the response from the entertainment industry. Absolutely. You know, before the, the last year's gala, about a year and a half ago, personal story, you know, I advocated with a group um, to we were advocating for all four remaining network soap operas to try out audio description and NBC and Corday Productions who produce Days of Our Lives basically took us up on it and a big portion of that advocacy was using the ADP website and and just showing those folks how much demand how much you know how many different companies and different series and movies are out there doing it. And most of the folks in the room didn't have any idea what audio description was. Fast forward a year and a half, you know, I've had a couple of conversations recently that I, you know, NDA can't actually disclose, but with another company who is looking to do audio description in a fun and unique new way. But everyone in that room knew what it was. And everybody in that room was excited because, it, of course, it, involved, it, it envelops and invites our community but like you said earlier, you know, there are a lot of different ways. They're working with um, autistic children with audio description and, and other um, cross disabilities. And sighted folks have discovered that they can, my sister being one of them, that they can multitask, have their favorite programming on and not have to be staring at the screen. They can cook and iron and check homework and all of the, you know, daily live things that they have to do while still, in, you know, enjoying their entertainment. And for them, this is some cool new, like, 
wow, this is awesome. And, and for us, it's like, yeah, we fought a really, really long time because for you, it's awesome. For us, it's information. Exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, and a huge shout out, like I said, you know, being able to go to the ADP website in, you know, sitting in those meetings and say, you know, look at everyone who's doing it and look at the thirst our community has for it. Um, subsequently, Days of Our Lives is moving on September 12th to the Peacock Network. They will be continuing to carry audio description. And in a few months, they may be a little bit more juicy and a little bit more racy than they can get away with on television. So if you're a soap opera fan, please follow Days of Our Lives to Peacock. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know that, Anthony. So that's great. Great. You, you know, it's great. Um, and they're really creative with the description. I have to say, you know, a lot happens on soap operas that's, um, oh, how do I put it? You know, there's a lot of facial and body expression and things that are going on, you know, that if you're just listening to the dialogue, you get, mo you know, for someone who's been watching it since you're three years old, I get most of what's going on. But that added layer, you know, especially the little comedy bits that you don't catch because it's only dialogue. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing. But before I transition to the World Blind Union, um, I did get an email question, and it's actually about your husband. Mm -hmm. Folks want to know, um, will there be cookies available in, at the holiday auction this year? <laughs> we, we had that conversation last night, and um, he said, well, I don't know. And I said, you can't disappoint the ACB members who always buy your cookies, Maybe you can add something else, but the, the cookies are a sta staple for the auction. So I think I think people can rest assured that there will be cookies in the auction. So if he comes in here to interrupt and says, no, well, then he's not going to be very popular. So I don't anticipate that will happen. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Quick shout out to our chicken friend, Angelique, who I was just told is listening to the show and enjoying it. <laughs> well, so did I get in, in the interact in the um, introduction, did I get your World Blind Union title correct? Well, almost, almost. I am president <laughs> of the North American Caribbean region. So it's North America, not North Atlantic, but North American gotcha. Caribbean region of the World Blind Union. So that encompasses Canada, the United States, and multiple countries in the Caribbean that are members. Not all of the Caribbean islands are members, but we are working to, to grow that because they're, many of them are very small. Um, the World Blind Union is sort of a convoluted um, membership structure. So a, a country like the United States pays dues to the World Blind Union, and we do it by country. And so it's it's based on population and their formulas and that kind of thing. But a couple of years ago at the General Assembly of the World Blind Union, um, the they changed the Constitution to implement some, some uh, membership dues structure changes that are beneficial to small countries because they, they were being required under the Constitution to pay fairly high amounts of dues, even though they had low populations because of the, and particularly in the Caribbean, there's a lot of economic issues. Um, the, the, their individual countries, you know, gross national product is, is higher than some because of tourism. 
But right. anybody who lives in an area where there's a lot of tourism, <laughs> like Florida, for example, um, Absolutely. But, but in the case of the Caribbean, almost all of those multinational companies that are in the tourism industry in those countries are foreign corporations. They aren't, they aren't, you know, domestic to the country. So a lot of that wealth leaves the island. So, so we were successful in getting a, a much more equitable dues structure for Caribbean islands so that they can afford to participate because what I've learned by working with many of the countries, um, Trinidad and to, Tobago, St. Vincent, St. Lucia, Aruba, Jamaica, Bahamas, all those different countries, um, that they want to pay what they can. They don't want to have us just grant them membership and they didn't pay for anything there. They want to they want to contribute to making change. And that's what the World Blind Union is really trying to do. So the, um, I also received about a month ago, a new assignment within the World Blind Union. Um, I was named chair of the World Braille Council, which I'm really excited about because many of ACB's members know that for many, many years, I was ACB's representative to the Braille Authority of North America. So Braille and Braille literacy are certainly another area that I'm very passionate about and making more resources available um, doing everything we can to promote Braille and its availability um, are, are definitely areas that, that I want to work very hard in. And one of the um, agenda items that I know we're going to tackle, and I'm excited to do that, is working on an international standard for electronic Braille files. So that's nice. technical. It's technical, definitely. But we need to ensure that the electronic Braille files that are used to create hard copy Braille are readable um, internationally and are, uh, uh, that it's possible to use the formats on different kinds of assistive technology from country to country, that we're not doing things so differently. And we're going to be partnering with the DAISY Consortium, which are the perfect people to, to work wow. with to create an international <clears throat> standard along with. Um, the American Printing House for the Blind that is leading um, a, an initiative to create um, a, an, an e-Braille standard is what they're calling it. Um, so that it's not specific to a certain piece of software or anything like that, but a, uh, an international standard. So I think that's going to go a long way in increasing the availability of braille formatted materials from uh, around the world. So I'm excited about that. We're just um, bringing together the composition of the World Braille Council right now, and we'll be announcing more details, you know, a little later down the road, but um, it's, <clears throat> it's exciting. So. Yeah, that's an initiative that's going to be far reaching. You know, it will, it will impact us here because you know there are there are things out there around the world that aren't necessarily translatable for for our readers but when you think about the countries that don't have the technical advantages that we have that braille is so much uh it's important for everyone i don't want to say it in a way that that minimizes it for for he, us here and and the more developed countries but for those countries that don't have the access to technology the way we do it's it's really going to uh, revolutionize yeah. their services. Yeah. It, it will. And, and in partnership with the Marrakesh Treaty, 
and the results that we are now seeing from the Marrakesh Treaty. And anyone who uses BARD probably has had the experience of noticing that there's a significant increase in foreign language titles. And if you haven't set your BARD profile to screen out so you only get English, you're going to see a lot of foreign language content coming into BARD that's audio and Braille if you if, if you look for Braille materials as well. So we're starting to really see some of that increased benefit that we knew the Marrakesh Treaty could provide to um, countries that have signed on as, as a signer on the treaty. And the U.S. is doing it in in major way through NLS, bringing in a lot of new content in other languages besides English. So folks out there, if you want to congratulate Kim or you have some questions, let's start getting those hands up. I know on a personal note, uh, Gabriel and I reached out to Kim a couple of months ago. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Here in Miami, we often encounter folks that are here to, in, to receive services that they can't get, period. Point blank in their home countries. Um, you know, we have Mount Sinai and Baskin Palma here in Miami, which does a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of di- different eye work. Um, you know, and we reached out to Kim for for some folks that we had met, and she immediately connected us with someone in their home country. And, you know, it, I, from what I'm told, they are experiencing a much higher level of of, of services. Um, in fact, both of the brothers are, are being taught Braille now. So, you know, if you're out there and, and you encounter something, Kim is a great resource. All you have to do is send her an email, and uh, she's pretty, pretty darn responsive to those emails. So, First and foremost, thank you for that. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us before we start taking questions? Well, thank you, Anthony. It's always nice to close the loop on a story that you had something to do with. And I'm really pleased that the folks in the Bahamas um, were able to connect with the two brothers and help them out. So that's really, really great to hear. Um, so no, I'd love to take questions and, you know, hear from people. So that would be, that'd be great. I mean, there's always things I could talk about, but I, I'd like to reserve the rest of our time to answer questions. And that will certainly spur me on to other things, I'm sure. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Sheila, who's up first? Roger. You might have to hit oh. that got it button. There we go. What do you know? Um, this is Roger Peterson and I wanted to just uh, get in and say that uh, I think of myself in a small way as having been involved in the for a long time, maybe not as long as Kim, but I I was there fairly early and uh, uh, really enthusiastic about it. And I wanted to say that I I knew Kim when she was Kim Young, and when she knew she was from Oregon instead of thinking she's from Massachusetts. That's right. Um, <laughs> uh, and uh, just uh, just to say that uh, that I'm I'm glad you mentioned Marrakesh. I was going to mention that, but uh, I just wanted you to want to say that that I love her and I couldn't be prouder of her. Well, thank Aww. you, Roger. And you are one of the early people I remember as I became active in ACB. So, you know, it's been, it's been great. And, you know, thank you for your recognition and your support all along the way. Thank you, Roger. Welcome to Sunday edition. All right, Sheila, who's up next? Elizabeth. 
Hello, everyone. Hi, Kim. Congrats. Hi. Thank uh, you. I have a question. You mentioned about audio um, going to the different Caribbean islands. Um, and I put in the chat, um, what about Bermuda? Have Have you thought about taking the services there? And it, I know it's true that a lot of the money um, comes through tourism and goes out of the island. So is, is that something that you may have thought about investigating? Well, I don't know specifically about Bermuda. I know we do work with Bermuda and they are... They are, you know, uh, I won't say they're doing, you know, as well as they'd like to be doing, but Mm -hmm. they are, they are probably one of the leading islands as far as services. And, you know, there's a lot of others that are smaller. Um, Bermuda's, you know, got a good population Mm -hmm. and a good infrastructure, I think, you know, better than, than many islands. But um, in the area of audio description, I don't know. We, um, ACB did a survey uh, um, a couple of years ago with the World Blind Union. And we, we uh, surveyed, you know, all countries and we got about 79 responses on that survey from different countries um, assessing where they felt their country was with respect to audio description. Mm-hmm. And most of the countries indicated they they had a little bit, but not near enough. And I think that not near enough was about 100%. You know, nobody is going to say they have enough audio description until we actually get to that place where everything is audio described. So we still have a lot of work to do to get to that goal, but... Mm-hmm. The more and more we can have, the more that can be available. So, right. and may I ask, you said you're working with them on what aspect? Are are you working with the government there? Um, on what? I, I am not specifically working with them. I know they are a member of the World Blind Union. I don't know other details specific to Bermuda. Okay, um, this is good for me to know because but I will I will certainly check in because I have an upcoming meeting soon with mm-hmm. um, with all the members of the North American Caribbean region, and I will recheck to make sure that um, that we're connecting accordingly with Bermuda to make sure that their advocacy organization and their service delivery organization mm-hmm. is connected with us as well. I, I mean, although I live here now in the United States, I can still advocate you know, uh, there on some of them's behalf because they started a blind organization there. Um, uh, what is it called? Inspire, mm-hmm. Inspire Bermuda. Oh, good. So um, good. they're slowly, very slow, making some progress. Yeah. And you said the organization's called, um, what is it called? The World Blind World. Union. World Blind World, Union. World Blind Union. That's okay. Right. Uh-huh. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. Welcome. All right, Sheila. Meryl. <laughs> Hi, Sheila, Hi, Anthony, Kim. Kim, congratulations. I'm so proud of you. I have tears in my eyes right now for oh, all the work you. you've done. And before I say any more, I also want to say that my friend, Beverly Thompson congratulates you as oh. well. Well, you um, guys are something special too. So thank you, and, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And what I want to say is that everything you do 
It's stellar. I mean, your work, you know, as a media past president, what you did, and all your support for us for the International Relations Committee and everything you've done for the World Bond Union and all the prescription labeling, you know, all the stuff you're doing with that. I I just am so honored to know you. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Thank I, you. I so really much. appreciate that. It means a lot. So you're thank welcome, you. Kim. Thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, Sheila, who's up next? We don't have any more hands, Anthony. But Meryl right. mentioned the prescription labeling, and that is something I've worked very hard on um, with, with all the different pharmacies that, you know, didn't have any accessibility to the prescription labels and where we've come with, with Walmart, with CVS, with, um, other, you know, other prescription labeling partnering with script talk, the, the latest being, um, CVS and their outspoken RX app on your phone or the new reader that reads CVS, um, prescription labels, same day in the pharmacy, you can get a label for your prescription. So I know you've talked about that initiative before, and ACV has a pretty significant role in that. And we may be venturing back into some work with a couple of pharmacy chains, Walgreens and Rite Aid. So if anybody listening has noticed that the accessible prescription labeling that was once available from those two um, pharmacy chains has vanished. Um, I would encourage you to reach out to me because we're about to embark on some advocacy in that arena again to get it restored. And you do Absolutely. have a hand, Anthony. Thank you. And I'll be reaching out to you too. I'm, I'm putting together a show with Judy Brown um, oh, for some time in early October about um, the prescription labeling. So I'll reach out to you and hopefully you can join us as well. All right. Um, who's our hand? Sheila? Anne. Anne Chipetta. Hey, Kim. Oh, it's Annie Chipetta. Hi. <laughs> hi. Well, I'm going to get on the Kim Charlson bandwagon and thank you for everything you do. Um, you've helped me so much over the years. Um, you, I mean, I can tell when other people speak of you, you know, the, the respect and, and, um, that they have for you, uh, it's just, you know, you deserve every single piece of, of all the goodness and kindness right back at you. Um, well, yeah. thank you. And when I was reading, you know, if I had to share um, Sunday edition with anybody, it was an honor to share <laughs> it with you. So, oh, and, uh, very and cool. I was reading thank about you. your book and I said, I wonder if we have that one in the library. So we'll have to connect to see okay. which of your books we don't have in the collection because it's been an honor for our studio to record a couple of them and help you to get them onto Bard and make them available to people. So well, I really appreciate that. And I also wanted to give the thumbs up to you on the um, spoken RX um, I, and the CVS improvements um, to the app and everything. It's, it's amazing. I'm, um, I'm a CVS Caremark prescription user and everything is, has gotten so much better. So I, I just want to say thank you. That's good. Thank to you. Hear. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Linda. Linda, you can go ahead and unmute. <clears throat> okay, Linda, if you're on a computer. Yeah, no, I'm unmuted. Hi, Linda. Hi. I <laughs> uh, also would like to congrat. Oh, oh I got a sub voiceover up. 
Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, Kim, I, I want to uh, congratulate you on everything you've done. I've known you from a long, long time ago <laughs> when I lived in Florida. Um, anyways, I got a couple questions. And uh, one of the questions I'm wondering about is Peacock. I have the uh, Roku TV and I have the free version of Peacock. So I'm assuming there's no audio description on that, but if I'm wrong, I sure would like to know. That's one question. Okay. And well, let me answer that one first and then we'll take the other one. Um, okay. My, my understanding is that there is audio description on the free version of Peacock. You may not have nice. access to all of the, the um, episodes of a particular show. I don't know all the details, but there is supposed to be audio description on the free version of Peacock. Well, how do I access it? Because I watch myself all the time on there, but I, there's no audio description. Okay. Well, why don't you and I connect after the show and we'll see if we can do some troubleshooting and figure that okay, out. Okay. That's awesome. Okay. Perfect. Also, other question? I wanted, oops, sorry. Uh-huh. What's your other question? Okay. The other question, um, I wondered about it at the national convention. Uh, and what about Brazil? Um, I have a, I used to have a cleaning lady whose mom lives in Brazil, who uh, is elderly and and she's uh, she's lost her vision. So I was trying to ask the person that spoke at the convention about it, but uh, I didn't hear back. So that's my question to you now. <laughs> well, I can probably help you. There are um, quite a few service delivery organizations in Brazil. And there is a particularly strong library service that I had the honor to visit in 2015 and tour their library. So they are quite, um, they're quite progressive and they have a lot of library services. So I will um, follow up with you on that as well with email. Oh, thank you so share. much, really. Okay. Oh, and last but not least, it's not a question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I congratulating you also on advocating for electronic voting which oh, I did for the you. first time and I I'm totally amazed I just hope that the electronic thing is safe enough and everything because fortunately I in Massachusetts it's now the law so we should be great we use democracy live for others who are interested and um, Linda and I were able to vote in Massachusetts um, on our computers, um, at our own time and place, and independently, and it was easy, seamless. It just worked so well. So yeah, the hardest part was applying. I had to get a provider to help me right. with that. And yeah. I don't know if it's this like permanent or you have to apply every year. That, I think the application is going to be required for every year, but any elections in that year will be will cover you. So you only have to apply one time for the accommodation. Yeah. That's what the uh, computer access, electronic access is, is an accommodation to an absentee or printed mail ballot. So thank oh, you, thank Linda. You so I'm glad much. you got to use it. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, I'll add my thanks to that, Kim. And I will also add my thanks for you, you know, you know, consistently putting out information in all the various things you do, but recently as well, um, you know, highlighting your experience in Massachusetts and spurring 
the right, you know, we're working here in Florida and I know other states are working for the, you know, the full gamut to have the electronic return as well as, you know, the electronic request and ballot um, filling out rather than having to do the envelope, the signing and the whichever mode of returning you choose you know, Massachusetts has the full gamut. So thank you for spurring those of us that are, you know, in the advocacy fight at the moment on. Um, I wanted to switch topics before we take another hand for a minute. Also, you know, we had some some pretty strong imperatives last year for Leadership Week. And recently we've been asked to submit comments as members. I was wondering if you could speak for a few minutes on you know, what, how important is it for us to submit those comments and maybe a little bit about where those comments go and, and you know, where our advocacy, you know, meets their understanding? Wow. Well, I mean, I can't overemphasize how important it is when, um, when Clark Rockfall or anyone from the Advocacy Services Committee reaches out and asks the membership to you know, send in your experiences on a particular topic, if it's um, access to durable medical equipment, or if it's website access, um, those are the two that come to mind right now. Um, certainly, the, um, the, the more, um, you know, impactful things that we can share with legislative aides and decision makers and government agencies are going to help us. I think that the strongest thing that we can do as advocates is tell our story. It's not quoting regulation. It's not, you know, citing a bill number necessarily. It's telling our stories that apply to what we're trying to advocate for, because storytelling is the real strength in our advocacy and nobody can do it but us. And so, you know, that, that is what is so powerful about, you know, self-advocacy is that we are speaking on our own behalf. It's not someone speaking for us. So I can't overemphasize how important getting involved is and sharing your story when you've got a compelling story that, you know, you feel makes a difference for someone to hear. Just tell your story because that can be effectively used by other advocates to reinforce our, our mission, our direction, and our advocacy goals. Well, it's like our brains are in some simpatico today because I, I'm going to reframe the question I was going to ask based upon what you just said. Do you have any personal stories in any of your various capacities where one of uh, one of our comments or personal stories kind of came back and you were like, and you thought to yourself, yeah, this is coming from our people. Uh, well, there's there's a lot of them, but I'm I'm going to tell a story that that um, at the time we were advocating in the area of emergency broadcast messaging and emergency alerts, and with all of the natural disasters that have been happening all around the country, um, that's why it comes to mind. And it was a a member who. Um, there was a, a water, um, an incident, you know, kind of similar to Jackson, but nothing at the, the scale of what has happened with the water supply in Jackson, Mississippi. But we had an episode here in Massachusetts where a, a major water main broke to a community. And, and the, um, the woman who was blind um, didn't know 
she didn't get any kind of emergency alert information and she you know she gave water to her dog and gave you know drank water herself she got ill her dog got very ill and almost died because she didn't know that so we used her story to reinforce the the importance of sharing emergency information in multiple channels in multiple ways because if if a community and now with cell phone technology that's getting better because you can focus in on a specific community and you can use a, a cell phone alert to get messaging out wow. as well um, and cities and towns now have emergency notification systems where you can sign up and you can select what method you want to be notified in and you can choose multiple methods. So maybe you choose email and a text alert or something like that, or a phone call even in many, many cases to get information. If they can call and tell you um, that, you know, that it's time to pay your, your water bill or something, they can call and tell you that there's an emergency. So, um, so that's something that most municipal communities have. So check in with your, you know, your town government, check on their website to see about emergency notifications and be sure you get signed up and that that process is accessible for you because that has improved dramatically since the time when my friend um, became ill because she didn't know there was a boil water order. So. so Sheila, do we have any more hands? No, sir. All right. <clears throat> well, Kim, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. I want to say congratulations for being, you know, recognized by the Kennedy Center and and just a huge across the board thank you, audio description, prescription labeling, all the duties that you do as immediate past president and World Bank Union of the North American Caribbean region and, and beyond. I mean, there's so much out there. You always have an open invitation here on Sunday edition. Um, I know we'll be putting together a gala show uh, sometime in November as a preview. So hopefully you'll be there. You'll be joining us then and um, have a great weekend and tell Brian, you know, you know, Sunday edition. Got an email about his cookie, so we're That's expecting right. it. And, you know, it's one of those bidding wars that we look forward to. Marjorie Beeman's bread and hopefully Anthony and Gabriel's wine package. <laughs> well, that's that's great. I will tell him. And thank you so much. And I look forward to being back, hopefully, on Accessible Prescription Labels and the AD Awards Gala later this fall. So thanks, Anthony, so much. Thanks. Happy Sunday. All, all right, folks. This is a great show today, and I am so very pleased to welcome, and I have to be a little bit personal in this moment, I'm welcoming to the show, or back to the show, I should say, the very first American Council of the Blind member I ever met, Ms. Ann Chiapetta. Welcome back to Sunday Edition, Ann. Hey, Anthony. Thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. You are one busy lady. Yeah, uh, it, it comes and goes, <laughs> but it, I'm busy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, your book is fabulous. Um, let's start there. Tell us about the inspiration for the book, what the writing process was like, you know, walk us through, walk us through your process. 
Sure. So this is my first fiction book. It's called Hope for the Tarnish. came out in March of this year. Uh, it took about, I don't know, it took about eight years to actually write and, and get right, and, uh, you know, get, get it to the where I think the public should read it. Um, uh, it's, uh, wow. So it, it's, it's about, it's a, it's a coming of age story about a young girl and her family. They get torn apart by divorce. There's some social taboos going on between her and, um, and the boy she likes. Um, they're not really related, but they're related in a way. So that's gets thrown in there. It's about a lot of the tragedy and, um, circumstances that she has to overcome as a young girl um, to be able to become, um, you know, a, a, a pretty cool uh, adult. And, uh, you know, some of it is based on my personal story, um, but, you know, it's fictionalized. So the names and places have been changed, things like that. Um, but I kept to, uh, you know, the timeline, 1970s, 1980s, and um, some of the family structure is the same, but, uh, you know, the characters are all, um, have all been, they're, they're not specifically based on any one particular person. They're like a conglomerate of people and personalities. And so, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, folks know that I also write and, and I find that a lot of times I will be editing or or going back to switch something up because later in the story I've, I've done something that needs a revision earlier in the story and a lot of times I'll find that character voices like you said are a conglomeration of people in in my life but I didn't specifically sit down to write it that way it's sort of the, you know I think people um don't understand that it's sometimes the story begins to write itself and the characters begin to kind of tell us as the writer, you know, where they're, where they're going to go. Um, do you find that, that, that in your process as well? Yeah, actually, um, I actually started this story. I wanted to write a story about a family um, that, you know, uh, that got ripped apart by divorce. And the reason why I wanted to write that in, thematically, you know, as an overall um, theme in the book was because um, you know, I am a child of divorce and also I was a family therapist for 20 years and I, I've seen firsthand um, what it does to families and especially kids and uh, so you know but the characters kind of wrote themselves in um, and made themselves uh, some of the characters just kind of appeared um, and and that's the part of the inner voice in the writing process that I love is uh, just letting them make themselves known in the creative process with you and then developing that, um, that, you know, that's the magic of it. If you want to talk about magic, you know, writing can be really tedious and it can be isolating. And, you know, sometimes, it, you know, you, you get writer's block. You're not sure you write yourself into a corner, but the magic of the writing is when that, character just happens to overcome an obstacle or, um, you know, that, um, that situation, um, is, is a powerful way for you to push the book forward. So those are, I don't know if that's purposeful in our brains or not that it happens, but it's magic. I think it's magic. 
do you did you struggle in you know you you've done poetry and you've done technical writing um did you struggle at all in the fiction process with how much of your personal voice came through in the story yeah um let uh, going back a bit um um I've always been told that my per- my personal essays and my nonfiction is very powerful, um, but that my fiction kind of lacked in that area. So it took me a long time to find the confidence to um, to try fiction and and get better at it. And um, you know, I started out with short stories, and I have a lot of those, and I have a collection of them out. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, um, you know, I struggled a lot with um, identifying myself as a fiction writer, um, what that would mean, um, how I would do it, um, and 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 that's all you know wound up in my, uh, you know, in in this book specifically. Um, you know, it was my first fiction novel, and it will hold a special place. Is it a good novel? Well, I think it's okay, and I think it's pretty good, but it's certainly not going to be my best. My best is yet to come, so. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, eight years, in, and I'm sure, you know, many, many re-edits and, and, you know, stops and starts. When it came close to it was coming out into the world, you know, it's I, I often say, you know, my pieces. Um, I have a couple hundred short stories published. I'm working on a book, but you know, I often say that, you know, that I'm 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 putting I'm birthing a a, a baby of sorts mm-hmm. into the world, and you know, like all parents experience at some point, you don't really have much say over that baby's life anymore. You know, they get to high school and go off to college, and and it's kind of the same thing with you know with our projects. We put it out there into the world, and we may want certain types of reactions but it's out of our control at that point what um what kind of process did you have for letting go once it was out there or you know talking yourself into this is the time it's ready i'm ready to put it out there wow um so uh i i was i was terrified (laughs) um i uh there's a lot of um personal not personal but there's a lot of parallels in the book in my life and uh i i actually um i sent it to my family and i said you you know you need to read this because some of the things in it are um you know are hard close to home yeah close to home and um one of my family members didn't like it at all and um i called my editor crying and i'm like what do I do? Like it, she, it, she, her, the, her and her husband, um, the uh, Leonor and David Dworkin, the, they're my editor and um, book prep people. They said, "Don't let someone's opinions stop you from doing what you do, because it's just their opinions. They might not like it. You're not going to please everybody, but this is your writing. This is your creative work, and it, you know you want to." you've gone this far, you've written the whole thing. Don't let anybody stop you from, um, uh, you know, making your goals and your dreams happen. And it was like, she hit a button in me and like all that, um, just went away. And I said, okay, let's do it. So that was, that was a really defining moment for me as an author, like, um, to be able to, um, 
to take to take the the negativity and 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 put it in a place where it's not going to keep me from pursuing what I want to pursue creatively. So. And what kind of responses have you gotten back so far? From, from my family? World. Oh, from the world? You know, from both. From <laughs> both, actually. Okay. <laughs> um, um, actually, good. Good responses. Uh, you know, people uh, – One, I had one response from somebody who said it was kind of confusing for them. But the, the, other than that, everybody else has said they like it. They It resonated with them. Um, you know, they felt that it was realistic. Uh, and, you know, I wrote it for pretty much for the baby – Boomers, you know, I'm, you know, 1970s, 1980s. It was a, 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 a for me um, and for other people that I know, it was a, it was a really it was a time of transition culturally, uh, and a lot of things happened, and there was a lot of a lot of sad things happened too, you know, like the AIDS epidemic, and um, uh, just that whole 1970s to 1980s shift um, in a, in a lot of political stuff and all of that, and. Um, and so I hope that it, it illuminates a little bit of that when people read it, especially if you grew up in that particular time frame. You know, um, I think that's important too, giving a little bit of historic content, but not enough, you know, to consider it a historic novel or anything. So, I think a question I've definitely gone as a writer, um, and a lot of folks out there have, is how difficult is it when you're when you're going back to a historic period you know and and i i would love to speak to and we have gotten the opportunity on writing works wonder shout out cheryl and kathy every yeah. friday at 1 p.m but you know how difficult is it to erase cell phones and remote controls <laughs> and you know when you really think about it you know remember those days when you know you'd get into a car with someone and you'd hear you know and it's it's below zero out like you know how difficult is it to a bring those memories up but also you know delete 20 30 40 years of progress and 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 that kind of thing in your writing Oh, that's so funny you mentioned that because it makes me think about a time we, I was in a writer's group and somebody sent their manuscript out and it was, you know, pre – it wasn't – so, so um, she didn't want to use cell phones and stuff. She wanted to minim, minimize their use in in the book because it didn't it didn't fit with, you know, everything that was going on and the main plot and everything. And the agent came back and told her, no, 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 you have you have to put more of that in there. It's not how people live today. And you want it to be a current, you know, currently themed. And and she, she was she had to go back and rewrite the whole thing. Um, but uh, going to your um, to your to your question directly, I had to do a lot of research. I had to do a lot of thinking about w what did people wear back then? <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and um, I had to research one of the a lot of the cars because they're not what they're like today. Uh, I had to try to um, make the timeline appropriate to what people expected back then in terms of time, which is different than now. Um, yeah. You know, the, 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 it, it, so a lot of that was, uh, was, it, I struggled with a lot of that. Like, okay, would this be appropriate? This, this response and this time is appropriate now, but was it appropriate back in 1975? Like, you know, there's a character in there. His name is Eddie. And um, every time Abby and Eddie have like 
a heart to heart and and he drives this big boat car this and um every time they have this conversation like he knows that she needs to talk he doesn't drive he pulls over he stops the car and he and he gives her 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 time now would that happen now i don't know you know yeah you know, folks who listen to the show regularly know I'm a, I'm a big fan of cozy mysteries and, and cozy romances. And I was reading a book a couple of months ago and they had a flashback to um, the early 80s. And mm-hmm. in the flashback, she grabs a cordless phone. Um, but based upon the timeline and, and knowing, you know, I'm, I'm a child of, of the 80s. I was born in, in the mid 70s, um, <laughs> mid late 70s. Uh, you know, I know cordless phones weren't de rigueur until the mid late 80s. Um, you know, so yeah. picturing somebody picking up a cordless phone in 81, 82, just, you know, kind of, you, you know, it, unfortunately, that's stuck in my head. So, you know, the the subsequent flashbacks, my brain was in two, you know, in two modes, a wanting to, you know, follow the progression of the story, but also like, oh, are there going to be any more glaring discrepancies? You know, and if it was just that she picked up the cordless phone, I probably might have not noticed it as much. But if, you know, it figured prominently into that flashback that, you know, it was phone call arguments going back and forth. So it was like almost beating us over the head with it. It's like they really didn't have cordless phones like that in 1982. Um, But, you know, the story was was fun and and ultimately speaking, I enjoyed it. But, you know, as a writer, I'm I'm very conscious when I'm trying to tell a memory or tell a story that, you know, that is not, you know, not part of my lived experience. I really have to do the research. Yes. What I think I do, does what I think I know actually match to what, others actually experienced and to me that's i i don't often go in and i don't write historic in historical terms because I, that's very it, it's it's nerve-wracking for me and and i don't want to get it wrong and i don't want um you know to put somebody in a space where they're enjoying my story and then something like that happens and and now they have a dual brain Right. Yeah. Now it, it well it stops the whole story for them. They get shocked out of the narrative and that could cause them to lose interest in the story and you know in the end give you a negative review. <laughs> that's that's what life is all about, right? <laughs> so, you know, I know personally that you love writing poetry. Um can you tell us about that side of your artistic expression? Sure. Um that was actually my first um, experience in um, in writing, I, I I was I was very shy, um, introverted kid. I had really low vision. I wore Coke bottle glasses. I you know I couldn't I couldn't really I wasn't coordinated very well and everything. I held books up to my face, so I got a lot of uh, a lot of problems in school. You know, um, with the teasing and whatever. So in seventh grade, we went to middle school. Um, and uh, we had what they call um, teaching pods back then. I, I went to Homics Middle School and um, in in Larchmont, Mamaroneck, um, New York, and they were pretty progressive. Um, so we had um, a teaching pod with English, science, and social studies, and they were a cluster. Um, they would, you know, you would stay with those teachers, um, and they would be pretty much, you know, your main source of of um, 
of support and everything. And the teacher that I got for English happened to be a specialist in um, medieval and Elizabethan literature. And she turned us on to Shakespeare and sonnetry and poetry. And um, so I wrote uh, my first poem and it got into the school newsletter. And after that, I was hooked. Um, my mom was also um, a poet and a writer, and she always encouraged me. And um, after she died, I wrote my first book of poetry and released it. And I dedicated it to her. And um, she's with me uh, every time I write poetry uh, because she's she was always my biggest fan. And... Um, and it wasn't until after she died that I found her own poetry and got to read some of it. And it was just like, wow, um, yeah, it was meant to be. So I've since written, probably like you, Anthony, hundreds of poetry, <laughs> hundreds of poems, maybe more. I don't know. Um, I know when the muse hits me, uh, it is something that it's beautiful. And I, I feel like I'm a full person when I write poetry. You know, I just have to say, I, I, I wonder if there's ever going to be a mother-daughter poetry release. That would be such a love letter to do to, mm. you know, to your mom. Yeah. I I shared a, one of her poems with um, one of my writer's groups, and they said it was beautiful. But unfortunately, we only have a few of them, so I don't know how. I'm thinking about it. Know. That's that's a good um, – thank you for putting that in my head. <laughs> So we, we've discussed this as, as a group on Writing Works Wonders, but where does your muse come from? What, what inspires you? And if you are experiencing writer's block, what do you do to find muse or inspiration? No. All right. Answer the last question first. Um, I don't actually believe in writer's block. I know it's a term that we use. It's either. a phrase. <laughs> I just, I just think you're not ready to write at that particular time for whatever reason. Um, but you could certainly write something else. If you don't want to write a poem, you could switch to email. If you don't mm -hmm. want to write email, you can, I don't know, do something else. I mean, it's, it's just a matter of, of keeping your creativity connected with you. Um, and sometimes there are times where you're not creative. I just had a time where I wasn't. I was having a lot of stress in my life and my creativity went to zero. <laughs> but uh, I got over it because my life changed and then went back up again. So I think it's all relative to your experience. Um, what was your other question? I'm sorry. I went off. <laughs> where do you find what you know, oh, where do you find your views and what inspires you? Hmm. I think I get my most inspiration from um from nature and from my own experiences with, with people and interactions, <clears throat> um, whether it's with people or animals, uh, I try to find um, a place where uh, I can connect with something, whether it's uh, a sensory uh, thing, whether it's a sense of smell, what I heard, how I felt, um, those kinds of things. Sometimes I pull out of the past um, in poetry. Sometimes I'm inspired by um, what other people write, what others, you know, have written in the past, and it helps me. Um, so I think just allowing uh, myself to be open 
to ideas and inspiration is why is why inspiration works <laughs> you you have to be open you curious you want to explore um and i explore with words because i don't explore with 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 other types of visual art um i used to be a visual artist and i had to learn how to paint with words instead of with a brush so i think that's all part of how i um developed as a creative person you know going back to to the writer's block comment for a moment i i also believe as you do that there really is no true writer's block i'm a and i say this anyone whoever asks me this is my you know my standard answer i multitask i have multiple <laughs> projects going on at once yep, you know yep. and like you said even if it's acb email or you know now Thankfully, I am working. God, I am part of the 30%, but no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, so I will bounce back and forth between things. And usually that will, you know, it gives the creative moment a break. Let's do something, mm -hmm. you know, business structured, go back. Um, but also I find sometimes you mentioned earlier, you write yourself into a corner. Sometimes I find just going back and finding a moment where I made a choice that I thought was going to be something but the story and the characters were actually going in a different way and you know kind of you know erasing a couple of pages or whatever it be and re-choosing also you know helps me uh, that creative juice starts flowing again it's like okay that was the wrong choice we do yeah even though it's all worlds we're creating the story itself sometimes tells us you, you made the wrong choice and that yeah. happens in, in technical writing. It happens in, you know, self-help kind of writing. You know, you anything that you're putting your passion through your words out there, you know, you can get yourself into a space where it's only you and you don't know what to do to bring it to the rest of the people. So go back and, and find that moment and, and redo. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, to, to, to go even further on that is like if you get stuck and you have part of a story written, send it to somebody. Say, what do you think? You know, yeah. and then because they can help you write yourself out of your corner. I had that happen to me. I'm I'm writing um, uh, I guess it's a sci-fi slash fantasy story, and I started out with a really strong protagonist character, and I I just I, I got stuck. Like I I felt like. I was losing steam on the story and I sent it to a couple of people and one person sent it back to me and said, <coughs> change your main character. Don't, don't tell it from the story of the warrior. Tell it from the story of the warriors, uh, the, the assistant, the cook, tell it from the, <laughs> and I said, well, yeah. And then um, three weeks later, I brought the story back up and I looked at it again and I said, they're right. I have to tell it from this guy's point of view. He's the stronger character. And they helped me write myself out of the corner. I would not have made that decision for myself. It was somebody else that yeah, made the right decision for me. So, yeah. And it's going right much better now. Right workshops are awesome. Absolutely. So, you know, segueing again, your relationship with puppies along the way has <laughs> – figured prominently into your writing at points in time. You want to tell us a, a little bit about your journey with puppies and, and how it's found itself into your writing? Sure. Well, it's way uh, into your writing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I got my first guide dog in 2009. Um, and her, her name was Verona. And I, you know, I thank you for GDUI and um, for you, Anthony, for bringing that 
um, that whole honoring our past guide dogs um, into um, into the convention and everything because it was really important for a lot of us to honor um, their work and their service and their dedication to us. Um, yeah. So that was, that was, that was like a pinnacle point for me. I mean, I was just like, Oh, wow. Verona, you're going to be honored. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when um, sidebar, no one on that, anyone uh, who's listening, we are working. Unfortunately, they discontinued the plaques yeah. that we were. Oh. So you guys will get your new version um, in the next few weeks. Uh, and then we'll do the Sunday edition when everyone has their plaques, but oh. continue. <laughs> yeah. And thank so, you for shouting that out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I thought that was wonderful. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't think enough could be done in that area of, of honoring our, our guides. But, um, so Verona started me, um, making blogs, um, you know, you know, I'd do some blog, I would write about something that happened on the street and how Verona helped me. And, um, and then they kind of morphed into this, you know, I looked at my blog and I said, wow, I have a lot of material here. I want to, I want to make a book about it. So, um, it took me about a year and a half to actually get everything together and edit it. And, um, I, uh, follow your dog, a story of love and trust came out in 2017 and, uh, it's my best selling book so far. And, uh, Not surprising. <laughs> yeah, I am. And, 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 uh, I have a second book, um, on the way, um, based in that same, um, um, assistance dog, guide dog and human relationship, um, it's, it's still being written, but, um, Verona helped me become a better person and, um, she inspired me to achieve much, much more than I thought I could. And, uh, but, you know, and, and it, it continues, um, you know, I have Bailey now and he's teaching me about tolerance and patience (laughs) 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 and, um, and how to honor him and his dogginess and his spirit. Um, and, and it's, and it, I think it's a, it's a worthwhile thing for anyone, um, to have that kind of unconditional love and, and explore that within themselves or, you know, with a greater context to other people, other animals. I mean, I did pet therapy with Verona. You ever have a chance to do pet therapy with an, a retired guide dog. It is an awesome, uh, tear jerking experience. I've got it. It, you know, it's, it's extremely powerful. Um, it helps you connect with other people in a way yeah. that you might not have if you didn't have the bridge, which is the dog. Um, so I can't say enough. You could, I could talk an hour. <laughs> my experiences with my dogs. Yeah. Sideways segue. I'm, I'm curious. I, I ask a lot of folks this, but do you, do you have a relationship with the puppy raisers? Yes. Yes, I do. And um I I'm a firm believer in in um letting the letting the razor and the graduate make their decision whether or not they want to be connected because sometimes it's hard for the razor. I remember when I went to um the open graduations at Guiding Eyes for many many years, um I was walking out of one of them and there was this woman sitting alone in the back and she was just she was crying and crying and crying. And I said, Oh my God. I said, who is that? And one of the instructors said, well, she's a razor and she's having a really hard time separating from her dog. 
uh, as a pop. And I said, oh, you know, maybe that's that's what you know. Part of the spectrum is for razors, and it made me appreciate them even more. Um, you know, so I think you've got to give people to give themselves permission to make that decision for themselves. You know, for for just the whole situation because it's so powerful. No, so powerful. It is, and I, I agree with you. I think it's a, a personal decision on both sides. Um, yeah, I'm not going to call any school right or wrong in how they do it, but I, I, I love the the idea that we have that opportunity. They have that opportunity. You know, I'm I'm no I'm not shy about saying. You know, I <laughs> my puppy razor is now part of my family. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it'll be that way the second time around. I lucked out. Um, you know, and, and I think they feel like they lucked out as well. And, and Bodie has lucked out because, you know, I feel personally that all the love my dog can get when he's not in harness, he is absolutely welcome to (laughs) when in harness, ask my permission. And once in a while, I'll give it to you, but, um, you know, at a harness, I want him to get all the love he can possibly get. Yeah. Going, going back to writing, um, you know, I often tell folks that that ask me, you know, how do you start writing? Or, you know, a lot of times I'll get, I wish I could write, you know, and I'll kind of point back to a story that they told me or, you know, an anecdote or something that we shared. And I'm like, you're already a writer. Putting mm-hmm. words, you know, on the computer screen back in the day, we used to say putting words to paper, but, you know, putting words on a screen, you know, and, and firing it off somewhere, that actually doesn't make you a writer at least in my personal opinion, what makes you a writer is being able to tell a story. You know, we have editors for a reason. Um, and, and as a former journalism editor, and I'm not shy about this too, I hate editing with a passion. <laughs> I was good. I'm good at it, but I hate it. Um, you know, I don't worry about commas and dangling sentences and, and, you know, my narrative going on and on. I, I let it flow free. And then I'll do my initial first edit, but I, I trust my editors to work with me. And, and I've been in situations, I'm sure you have too, where it's just, it's just not the right relationship. The person can be phenomenally fabulous, but it's as a person, but the relationship editorial editorially speaking is just not the right one. But what do you tell folks who say, I can't write, or I, you know, I don't know how to write. Uh, well, I, I, I want to tell them uh, if you're writing, then you're a writer, you know, in a concrete sense. If, you, if you're spending, uh, you know, your time responding to emails or, um, you know, or doing something in your journal, you're a writer. Uh, you could, and it's their choice whether they want to write more um, and and expand their uh, their universe in terms of being a writer, whether they want other people to read your writing, that's all. There's levels to it. You, you, and you have to start at the beginning. You can't just become a really good writer all, all at once. Yeah. It, you know, it's, it's, it's that, it's that, um, you know, that you've, you've got to start where you think you need to be and then, and keep pushing yourself. That's part of it too. It's, there's all kinds of, um, personal um pieces and elements of human nature that come into being a writer um but i think the the best thing is if you want to be a good writer you need to be 
a really good reader. You've got to read, 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 read. Maybe even yes. read more than you write. Um, because then yes. you know what you like, know what you don't. You understand, you know, certain um, things about pacing or, you know, why this sentence worked and why it didn't or why a passage is so powerful or so like I talked about curiosity before. That's part of it. It's like if you're a curious person um, and you want to write to find out what you think, like Stephen King says, do it. That makes you that makes you a writer. That makes you be um, involved in 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 what inspires you. You know what you know. Being the explorer, uh, uh, being someone who wants to uh, you know in- interact with others or find out what what being a human being is all about. All of those things come into being a writer, you, you know, and it, you don't have to be a writer. Um, you identify with yourself as a writer because you wrote, you know, 18 poems and they're in some poetry journal. That's great. <laughs> but you're a writer because you believe it in yourself and your soul. Um, it's not about what other believe, other people believe. It's what you believe about you. You know, I was given an exercise um, early on in my college life that I've modified whenever I've, I've done courses or, or writing groups. Um, a professor came into the room and handed out an index card to everybody in the room. And on the index card was, was basically a sentence. And some people got, you know, somebody got salt and pepper shakers sitting on a lonely <laughs> table. Um, cuckoo clock, uh, the bird is coming out of the cuckoo clock, you know, and just one sentence. And then we were to come back the following class with two pages be a story just write a story based upon that 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 scene that picture that's being created for you by that sentence um you know i was the one who got salt and pepper shakers by the way um <laughs> you know and and i i had a conversation between salt and pepper you know about the family that lived in the house and and how they felt sitting on the table and and all of that and it, it you know it really um and like i said i've used it over the years because it gives it gives it's an exercise that gives people the opportunity to understand that they're a storyteller. They can be a storyteller, and it doesn't always work. Don't get me wrong, but you know sometimes if you want to if you want to write, just sit down and write about nothing, and let you know let your let your muse take over, and whatever will come out will come out. Often I'll start writing about something, and my brain wants to tell me wants to tell something else. So I got to quickly create a new document and jot those ideas down and go back and finish what I'm doing. But, you know, sometimes your brain, you know, knows more than what you, or subconsciously knows more than what you think it knows. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think a creative brain is a busy brain um, It can, and very focused at the same time. I know I know those are two completely probably opposites being busy and being focused <laughs> but that's yeah. what happens with creativity it, it just it, being open and letting yourself just go with the flow whether it's stream of consciousness or you're, you're taken sometimes i'm taken over by something i hear or something that uh that just i know is going to inspire me later and i have to record it or i have to get it written down or i'll forget it and i won't be able to go back to that that key element that 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 good triggers the creativity. So yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, what you said, uh, you know, and, and it's different for everybody too. Um, yes. 
Yeah. But you go back to that index card and and think about things that, you know, may not be um your your usual or your normal and 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 let the creativity um be your inspiration and, and follow your hunches. Yes. Do you ever do you ever miss therapy practice? Do you ever miss that, you know, every day nine to five, you know, working with folks and, and helping bridge pieces of their lives? I do miss it. Um and uh you know, I sometimes I wish um that I you know that I could still do it in some way um professionally, but I know uh that it it was time for me to leave. Um, so I, I try to take all of that experience um, that I've learned over the years with people um, in trauma counseling, and I really try to um, allow that to um, guide me when I when I write about human relationships. And and I'm really grateful that I had all those experiences and all that training, and um, I met all those people, and I helped them hold their pain for a little while. Everybody needs that. Um, do you think that some of your writing will reflect that in the future? Good question. I don't know. I think this. I think this book about the human and animal bond relationships. It some of that's going to come in there for sure, um, because there's going to be some stories about post traumatic stress and how um, animal therapy has helped people heal. Uh, whether that's going to be one chapter or most of the book, I don't know yet. Um, I still have to do some research, but for sure, um, all of, all of that past experience will probably be, um, developed into that book. So, nice. so folks, um, if you want to talk with Annie, get those hands up, but let's transition before we start taking hands for a few minutes. Let's talk about your ACB and your ACB of New York life. Um, what are some of the projects that you've worked on in the past that you're passionate about? And what are you really passionate about right now as far as ACB is concerned? Oh, I'm passionate about Art Parlor. And um, we, are, <laughs> <laughs> we, are, we are getting our podcast um, episodes ready uh, for the next, I guess, the next quarter of things, um, post-convention um, stuff. So that's really great. Um, we have a, a bunch of people that uh, we have lined up for for some interviews um, and uh, ACB of New York is getting, getting ready to have their state convention in Albany. Um, and then I, I also, I'm a part of guide dog users of the empire state and we're always mm-hmm. pretty, pretty busy um, trying to, uh, you know, help people out um, with, with anything uh, regarding New York state and issues with guide dog access and stuff like that and keeping in touch with all of the, um, the guide dog schools that are here on the Eastern seaboard, um, you know, keeping in touch with everyone. We're, you know, the post pandemic, I guess, recovery for all the guide dog schools has been interesting. And um, that, and I think, uh, and then also the uh you know the uh the aging guide dog users or older um people who lose their vision later in life um have other have needs in addition to being just you know a, a, wanting a guide dog um and I, since i'm going through this myself into getting my third guide dog um we think you know aging and vision loss and um guide dog users 
um, have a, uh, I think that's a, a subject um, that needs to be explored even more. And, and, and uh, so that older adults who are active and, and, and can use a guide dog, um, you know, have that opportunity to get a piece of that freedom. So we're working on all those things and GDUES and hopefully um, do, do something a little more substantial with those, those things. And um, we have Westchester Council of the Blind um, and um, we are going through a paratransit um, transition from an, a legacy system to a new system and that has been an experience let me tell you but i will stop there gabe and i down here in miami can, uh, can definitely um we should talk we're not quite ready for the transition but um we are we're, we're banging on the county's door uh, a lot we've got mm -hmm. a collation process and going on where we're collating complaints from users versus what the county's actually seeing and or enacting on and with the goal being our legacy system here has to go um, mm -hmm. but i think i digress <laughs> i will i uh, will hit you up offline for some yes you know, yes some chatter for sure you know this would be the perfect opportunity you can help me um wish one of our friends to sunday edition and one of our friends in common a happy birthday today is Lori sharp's birthday so if you're listening Lori, happy 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 Oh, yeah, Miss Laurie, happy birthday. <laughs> All right, let's, um, let's take some hands. Sheila? Hmm, no hands yet. <laughs> All right, well, if you want to talk writing or inspiration or just congratulate Annie on another fabulous book, please get those hands up. In the meantime, let's transition again. Um, you talked about going for your third, you know, soon you'll be going for your third guide dog. Um, for those of us out there who are still on our first, any tips and tricks for when we know it's time and, and we need to, you know, just start mentally preparing ourselves for the transition from one amazing relationship to another? Wow. Um, it's so individual. Oh, uh, depends on the dog and, and, and who you are and what you do and what your dog's job is, whether you live in the country or the city or it's very individualized, but I will say it's probably a very difficult transition no matter who you are, because there are a lot of decisions that have to be made, um, on the dog's behalf that they may not understand, um, and I think for me with Verona, when Verona retired, she was a younger and, and I was just like, it, you know, why didn't you work until you were eight or nine years old? Why are you telling me you got to retire now? Um, so I was, I was, I was kind of angry about that and disappointed about that. Um, and I had to work through that, uh, personally. Um, and it wasn't her fault, you know, it was just what happened. Um, and that came to a, a level of acceptance and uh, we realized we could keep her. Um, and then she was, she was doing really well transitioning to my husband and as she eventually she became his dog. Um, so when I brought Bailey home, it wasn't that bad, but there are times where both dogs come to the harness and, and you're like, Oh, 
Oh. <laughs> it's, it's hard, you know, and, and, um, and then you, every, you know, that happened for me for quite a few, about six months, Rona would come up and look at me like, am I coming too? And I'd be like, no, honey, go lay down. And then she would just go lay down and she was fine. Um, but she, she had that, you know, they have that, oh, that routine built into them and you need to help them understand they don't need to have that routine anymore. And, and you know, so it's like, it's like we're bearing the brunt of the retirement for, for both yourself and your dog emotionally. And, and that's hard, but it does get easier over time. Um, and, and then eventually you, you come into this, this, this really great triangle. Like if you keep your old, you know, keep your retired dog and you have a new dog and everything's working out, you, you get to this point where everything is cool and you have, your family is overcome an obstacle and, and you, and you get to a, a stable point, but for, it's different for everybody. Um, it's different for people who um, return, you know, give their dogs to a loved one or, um, let their razor take the dog back or adopt the dog out. That's a whole different set of circumstances and emotional um, progress that you have to make. So it's, it, it, I don't know, for me, um, I, I knew Verona still wanted to work because she was young. Um, so that's why we did therapy work for a year. Um, and I didn't do it. Yeah, I didn't do it right away. I waited until Bailey and I were a team for at least two years before I did that with her. So, right. you know, I think it's very brave of you to have, you know, spoken here publicly and and used the word anger. It's very easy for for folks to admit the sadness part of it because you yeah. know it's so prevalent. It's right there. It's, um, but there are, and it might it might not only be anger. There there's plenty of other emotions that may not feel um, that it, you know, that we may not feel like socially we want to put those feelings out there, but we should definitely feel them, accept them, understand them. Yes. Um, so I, I want to congratulate you for being brave enough to, to say that in a public space, that there was anger and you had to work through yeah. that. And, and God bless. I heard a hand Excuse go me, up. Anthony? Yes. Hi, it's Elizabeth Ann. I've been trying to raise my hand, but it's not working. Is okay, it okay if I ask a quick question? Sure, then we'll go to the next hand. Go ahead. Okay, well, I want, I'd like to congratulate you on your book. Thank and, you. Um, it sounds very interesting, uh, but I missed the title of, of your first book, the one about the divorce situation. And is it on audio books? Oh, good question. It's called Hope for the Tarnished, and uh, it is not an audio book yet. It will be recorded as an audio book um, probably in September, October. Um, oh, and this it's, year? Yeah. It is, okay. It's on Bookshare, um, and mm-hmm. it's, it's also a Kindle book, um, a hardcover, and softcover. And it's also on Smashwords. Um, let me plug Smashwords a little bit. Smashwords Please. is a great um, um, electronic um, book download system, um, and it's also accessible. You can get a TXT version that you can convert if you have an electronic Braille reader um, at your disposal. You can um, convert the, the file, and you can read it with a Braille display. That's one great thing about Smashwords. So. 
Actually, that's a coming up Sunday edition. Um, Thank you. Gonna do, You're welcome. We're going to do a demo on Smashworks in October. So oh, good. That, I'll folks. be there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really it. excited about that show. Um, and Margie Donovan and Becky Davidson are going to do some advocating on the October 2nd edition. So we've got a lot of guide dog stuff coming up. I'm also in the process of working on a show with um, guide dog PTSD and guide dog um, and other alert you know, dual mm. functioning guide dogs. So stay tuned for that too. As soon as I get that all together, I'm another show I'm really excited about. All right, Sheila, I heard a couple of hands go up. Who's next? Ron Brooks. Ron Brooks. Awesome. Hey, Ron, welcome to Sunday edition. Oh, welcome back to Sunday edition. Hey, good morning or good afternoon. It's your pleasure. So just a couple of um, questions. First off, um, Annie, this is a great, um, Great interview. Lots of really good information. Thanks for being so open and, and, sure. um, you know, really sharing a lot of information. So a couple of questions for you kind of as a, from an, the standpoint of being an author, um, as somebody who, and I, I do a lot of writing, but it's, it tends to be very kind of situational writing. So, you know, I write about transportation or I write about uh, my dogs, I write about different things, and it's mostly, other than newsletter stuff, it's mostly unpublished. How do you know when you have something that's worth writing in a more, you know, long form, more structured way? I mean, how do you, how do you separate just, I'm writing because I just have something I want to write versus I have something I want to actually think about trying to publish and then a second question is, where do you get ideas for characters? Oh, um, uh, okay, so when, so when do I, when is the right time? Um, I think it differs a little bit for fiction and nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you could, you could do, you could totally like get all those articles that you've written about your dogs and transportation and um, see if there's a theme, a common theme. And I mean, of course, the common theme is you to begin with, right? Um, and then you could go further than that and, and, and you know, tease out what those other themes are and then see how you can get them shuffled together and, um, and into some loose form of continuum. Or you could make an outline and, and, and see how that goes. Um, I did that with um, Follow Your Dog. It was all blog posts. And then I sat down. I said, well, you know, maybe there's enough for me to make a book out of it. It took a while and took some work, but I made it, it ended up working out where it all worked out and it all got together in a comprehensive way that would be understandable by other people. So if you think you have enough work, then investigate where the themes are um, and and just, you know, figure out how you can structure it, you know, how you can get the threads together. Um, you never know, I you know. I think you have something. Um, if you if you have that body of work and their individual uh, pieces, um, but they all have something to benefit someone else um, other than yourself, I think you know. In a way, as as a writer, we're almost obligated to try to um, put it together and get it out there for other people to help them. So that's answer number one. Um, and characters, wow. Um, they come from everywhere. I know I said a lot of my characters are conglomerates of 
like people and um you know that, that I've read about or I've met personally um I I do a character write up and synopsis for a lot of my fictional characters um who are they uh, what they look like um what what their personality is uh you know what what uh any kind of little quirks they might have um and stuff like that and I keep that in the background when I'm writing a story so I know I'm consistent with the character um when I need to go say well you know did I make her have brown hair or blonde hair I don't remember <laughs> so um that has happened many times do they have blue eyes or green eyes um how did I just you know how did I describe you know how they walk or um so all of those little character bits and pieces um keep them keep a record you know and keep them in mind and have a file for them. Um, uh, one thing that I can say, it's a character naming source book is really, really cool. And I got it a long time ago. I don't know if it's even an electronic version anymore, but you can go on the web and look at characters' names and stuff like that. That sometimes is a, a sticking point for a lot of writers. Like, what do I name this person? Um, um, I really, you know, how do I want this person's name to be um uh, perceived by other people. Uh, so there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on and fiction and nonfiction, you know, similarities and differences when, when you're putting a book together. Yeah. If I can jump in here for, for a second as well, um, and go backwards for, for me, I don't write a character profile before I start writing. I just have an open document and I kind of go and just put highlights into that document per, you know, for character, you know, for each character so mm -hmm. that, like you said, you know, I'm halfway through and it, it may be a second, especially secondary characters, you know, let me just make sure I'm, you know, let me pop in and make sure that you're, you're right. Brown hair or I personally, as a, as a writer, try not to describe my characters. I have other characters describe my characters. You know, I work it into the writing because I, I yeah. like my readers to, I like my readers to build the world for themselves in their brains. So I, I'm not as detail oriented, especially with my characters, um, as other writers. And Ron, I, you know, I've, I've experienced a lot of your posts, um, and, and some of your writing for ACB. I think you definitely have a knack for writing. Mm -hmm. Um, if you found, you know, if you socialize some of your, you know, themes, and see what responds to people that might also help you find a, you know, find a voice. I call it the voice. What is, what is the voice of the piece or, or the work that I'm, I'm creating um, and writers groups and, and, and socializing it is, is a great way to help you find that voice. Any follow-up before we take the next hand? No, that that's actually perfect. And I love the idea of the character profile because um, I think writing about people is fun. Um, but it's hard to do and, and, um, you know, just trying to, you know, come up with those details. And I'm, I just read a book where there's tons of description and it's like, wow, you know, you have to be really observant <laughs> to get all this right. So anyway, that, that was really helpful. Thank you. Oh, Thanks, no, Ron. trust me. Most writers will have some sort of character profile because, you know, when, especially think about writing a 400, 500 page novel, all the different characters that are involved. And if you have to go back, somebody you haven't seen since chapter three and you're now in <laughs> chapter 27, you know, you have to go back. You have to, you know, what did they do? You, you know, and what are they, um, and, and having it in a profile in a separate document to quickly 
instead of having to go back, go through the chapter, find where they were, et cetera, it makes all the difference. All right, Sheila, I think we could do one more hand before we go off air, because I want Annie to have also have time to tell everybody where they can find her stuff. So who's next? Meryl. Hey, Meryl. Hi, Meryl. Hi, Sheila. Hi, Annie. Oh, you are terrific. Um, I just want to say that I love your poetry. When you've read your poetry, it is very poignant. You are a very expressive writer. And also, you struck a chord within me because you said whether you're writing email or doing anything, because I collaborate on a lot of different things I'm doing for ACB, and I do things myself in a group, and... When I write, I'm passionate, and I choose my words carefully. So, you know, I, I guess I have a gift that I didn't that I didn't realize. But I want to thank you. Also, we are working on things with paratransit too, and <laughs> <laughs> it's a um, uh, a pilot project. And and also, I've listened to your Westchester Council of the Blind. Um, meetings even after the speakers i listen because I'm yeah i know i've meeting. seen you on the uh, participant the participant yeah, list um, yep uh, yeah i'm a former new yorker so i want to <laughs> know what's happening you know and i've been invited to your new york um convention but i'll have to do it virtually this year but hopefully i can come next year oh cool yeah, yeah. thank you so much well thank you you're welcome mm-hmm all right you know what Sheila? do we have any other hands no all right so annie where can folks go to get all of your wonderful writing you can go to www.annchapetta.com and it's spelled a-n-n-c-h-i-a-p-p-e-t-t-a dot c-o-m uh, i have a blog called thought-wheel.com and uh, all my books are available, except for the new book, are available on Audible, on Smashwords, Amazon, Kindle, and Bookshare. Awesome. And um, real quick, plug Annie's News. Oh, I have a, a, a low-traffic um, uh, author's newsletter called Annie Shares News. And you can send a blank email to Annie Shares News dash subscribe at groups.io and you can subscribe to uh, the newsletter and it comes out about once a month Um, and uh, the most recent one just came out Uh, it's you know I try to plug other authors other writers groups not just myself and then we also have Drea my book dragon she always signs off for me at the end All right. And the last thing, um, shout out Writing Works Wonders and any other groups or calls that you'd like to shout out before we say goodbye. Oh, okay. Well, definitely Writing Works Wonders. I get a lot of my inspiration from them, um, especially their prompts. Um, They help me write better poetry um, and they push me when I wouldn't push myself. That's what I love about them. They they do it in a kind and generous way. And I just love Cheryl and Kathy. I think they're wonderful. Um, And then we have um, Behind Our Eyes. Uh, I'm a a very active member in BehindOurEyes.org. We have what they call a book launch. If you become a member of Behind Our Eyes, you can, um, and you're an author that has a new book coming out or a book that's been out um, just recently, you can um, 
um, sign up for a future book launch and we help you with coaching. We help you with um, getting your feet wet and practicing what it's like to do a presentation and an interview for a new book. All right. Well, thank you, Annie, for joining Sunday edition again. Um, we look forward to Guide Dog Part 2, whatever voice form that ends up taking. And whenever you have a project, you are more than welcome to come here thank and you, shout it out. I'd like to thank Kim Charleston for giving us some of her time. She's a very busy lady, and it's a Sunday. Um, hopefully, she is prodding Brian right now to make sure we get those cookies in the auction. Sheila, as always, thank you. Byron, as always, thank you. And like I said, I will be back next week with a conversation around 9-11 and other hot topics in our community. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to Sunday Edition on ACB Media. Stream One. That's American Council of the Blind Media or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Episodes drop every week at 1 p.m. on Sundays, and you can email us at Sunday Edition AC, all one word, Sunday Edition with the letters AC at gmail.com. Let's brunch again together next Sunday.